thank you for joining with us tonight around the Word of God. Uh, this would normally be our midweek prayer meeting and Bible study, and while we're not able to meet in the public place of worship to gather in this fashion, we're thankful again for the means of bringing God's Word to you. And of course, we would encourage you after we read the Word of God and preach from it, that even in your own home you would take that time, uh, a season of prayer, uh, to seek the Lord uh, for your own needs, the needs of your family, the needs of the work of God and the congregation and the wider work of God, the needs of our land and of our nation. But tonight we're turning to the book of Job and it is to the opening chapter of the book of Job. Uh, we're just reading the first five verses of Job chapter 1. And here we read, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned, and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Amen. And we know God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this evening. Let's just take a moment to seek the Lord in prayer, and ask the Lord to speak to your hearts through his word and even help us then to spend a season before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank thee for thy presence with us this day and all that each of us have done and wherever we have been. And we thank thee this evening that we can set aside this time to consider thy word and then to seek thy face in prayer. We realise that men ought always to pray and not to faint. We know that thou art the one who, even in the person of thy Son, the Lord Jesus, in the Word of God, exhorts us to ask that we might receive, to seek that we might find, to knock that it might be opened unto us. And we're praying now that thou will speak to your hearts through thy Word, and we pray, Lord, that thou will remember each of us personally and individually, and we pray that thy Word may come as a word in season to our hearts. So fill me afresh with thy Spirit. Speak to me through thy word, and speak through me tonight, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This book of Job 
begins by giving us an insight into the life of the man after whom the book is named. And we're left in no doubt that Job was a godly man. One who had his faith in the coming Redeemer. One who had his faith in the true God. And why this particular book is named after Job, and we learn much about him in it, there are two other books in the Bible where Job is mentioned. One of them is another book of the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel and the chapter 14. And in Ezekiel 14, the verses 14 and 20, Job is mentioned alongside Noah and Daniel as men who were righteous before God. When we turn to the New Testament, to the letter of James, the chapter 5 and verse 11, once again Job is brought to our attention. And there we read of the patience of Job, the patient endurance of Job in the midst of affliction. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And of course we've got to read this particular book named after Job to learn about him and to learn about his patient endurance. Now there are many truths, many lessons we learn about uh, when we read this book of Job. We learn that in the severe trials that he suffered as a child of God, he did suffer at the hands of Satan. But this suffering was permitted by God. We therefore learn something about the terrible afflictions which can come to the child of God in this life. We read of Job's three friends in this book who came to comfort him after his terrible, or in the midst of his terrible afflictions and trials. And while they may have meant well, they really just added to Job's sufferings because they drew wrong conclusions about Job's sufferings. And so we're warned of the errors which can be made when we try to explain as to why someone is suffering tragedy in their lives. We learn also from the book of Job that God is not under any obligation to explain to us why he permits suffering to come to his children in this life. Now Job is one of the books of the Bible described as the wisdom books or even the poetical books. But thinking of the title wisdom books along with Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. And I want this, uh, this evening just from these opening five verses of Job chapter 1 to really consider an introduction to this man Job, as he sat before us in these verses. There are really just two main thoughts tonight. First of all, that Job was a wise man, and then that he was a wealthy man. And so as we are introduced to Job in these verses, we want to consider that he was, first of all, a wise man. There are many ways that Job could be described when we study his life. And I want to begin by considering his wisdom. Of course, it was God who made him to be wise. None of us are wise in and of ourselves. Like all mankind, Job was born as a sinner. And if we are to be honest with ourselves and honest with what the Word of God teaches, well, 
by nature as sinners, there is much about our hearts and lives which demonstrate that we are foolish in and of ourselves rather than wise. The Apostle Paul, when writing to Titus, in Titus 3, verse 3, writing as a saved sinner, writing to Titus, who was a saved sinner, he declared, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. And we're thinking particularly of being foolish with regard to spiritual realities. The psalmist Asaph, as a child of God, in Psalm 73, verse 22, had to confess, So foolish was I and ignorant. When he looked at things from really the wrong perspective, we might say. In Job chapter 2, at the verse 10, in the midst of affliction and loss, Job had to rebuke his own wife and say to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish woman speaketh. So we're really saying that by nature, as sinners, we are foolish with regard to our spiritual well-being and with regard to spiritual things. But Job was one whom God had made wise, wise unto salvation. And in the opening verse of the book of Job, we are taught how this wisdom that Job was given was demonstrated in his life. We are told in verse 1 of Job 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God, and issued evil. And I want you to think about the fact that Job was described as one that feared God. One who had a reverence for God. He recognised that God was the almighty creator. And that he was but one of God's creatures. He knew that God was the redeemer. And he was a sinner. And I connect his fear of God, his reverence of God with his wisdom because in this very book of Job, in Job 28 and the verse 28, Job said this concerning God. And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, that is wisdom. And of course, this truth is also found in another one of the wisdom books, the book of Proverbs. Because in Proverbs chapter 9, in the verse 10, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Paul when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 15, reminded Timothy, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. When we're made wise unto salvation, we are brought to fear and reverence God. When Paul was writing to God's people in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, he, he wrote of the, the saved sinner, the forgiven sinner, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, we're in Christ when we're saved, we're in union with him, who of God is made unto us 
wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he is made unto us wisdom. Job then was a wise man because he feared God. But closely connected with this, he was also a wise man because he forsook sin in his life. Yes, he feared God and he forsook sin. And of course, the two things go together. Again, if we look at Job 1 and verse 1, we're reading in that verse that he was not only one that feared God, but one who eschewed evil. It simply means he turned away from evil. He departed from evil. And when we come to the Lord for salvation, we've got to turn away from our sin. And of course, the Lord saves us then. He breaks the power of sin. And it doesn't mean we're sinless. Oh, we're declared righteous, we're justified, but we still sin. And the work of sanctification begins when we're justified and continues until we're glorified and we're able to die more to sin. And so we're to be continually departing from sin. And I've already mentioned the verse in Job 28 and the verse 28. And it not only says there, and unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. But it goes on to say, And to depart from evil is understanding. So Job was wise because he feared God. But he was also wise because he forsook sin or evil in his life. And while we're really considering an introduction to Job here, we're considering what he was before the terrible trials came. You know, even when the trials came, he still demonstrated his wisdom in fearing God and forsaking evil. Because when you go down to the very end of the chapter, when of course he had lost so much, his family, his sons and daughters, his possessions, his business, yet we discover in the verse 22 that we're told in all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. While he was not sinless in this particular matter, he didn't charge God foolishly and he didn't sin with regard to what he said when the trials came there at first. And so Job was one who was wise. He had his faith in the coming Redeemer. As he confessed over in chapter 19 and the verse 25, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He had his trust in the Lord and even when the trials came in Job 13, in verse 15 he said of God, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He was wise. Can you say God has made me wise unto salvation? If you're saved, of course you can. If you've been brought to fear the Lord, to reverence him, to forsake your sin, and to trust in Christ for salvation, well, you've been made wise. But there's another aspect of Job's wisdom here in these opening verses. Yes, he, he feared God. 
He forsook sin, but he was a faithful father. And his wisdom is seen in that aspect of his life also. Now we discover in verse 2 of chapter 1 that Job and his wife were blessed by God with family, with sons and daughters. They were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. And in verse 4 we're obviously reading about the sons and daughters when they've, they've grown up. They're adults now and in verse 4, his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day. Some commentators believe this was to do with their birthdays, every one his day. Because in chapter 3, uh, Job, we read after this, opened Job's mouth and cursed his day, which was to do with the day of his birth. And we're told, therefore, in chapter 1 and 4, that the sons went and feasted in their houses, Every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. They came together as a family. And in verse 5, we're told, and it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned, and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. He was a faithful father. He recognized that his sons and daughters were but sinners. We believe they were saved sinners, they had their faith in the coming Savior. We believe that because when they were taken from him so tragically in death, and then away at the end of the book, when God gave Job twice as much as he had before, he was given the same number of sons and daughters because we believe those. Those ones that died were in glory, and of course they therefore still existed. But he recognized that his sons and daughters were not sinless. And of course, he recognized the need of the blood sacrifice to atone for sin. And of course, just as the other sacrifices of the Old Testament, they pointed forward to the coming of Christ as the only sufficient sacrifice for sin. When he came and gave his life a ransom for the men. Job was a, a faithful father. Continually he offered up sacrifice for them. And according to the number of them all. And of course we are taught there that a faithful father, a faithful mother will point their children to the need of faith in Christ and his finished work for their salvation. And of course a faithful father or mother will also Pray for their children. We need to pray that whatever our position in life is tonight, whether we're a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, son or daughter, whatever position we have, even in the workplace or the work of God, we need to pray for wisdom. And we need to pray for wisdom for, for ministers, pastors, for elders, for deacons. Wisdom is needed. We need to pray even that those in places of authority and government would look to God for wisdom. James teaches us in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, that if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God. He will give to us liberally. He will not upbraid us. But we're to ask in faith, nothing wavering. Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5 and 17, give the exhortation, 
Wherefore be ye not all wise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Job was a wise man. It was God's people. God has made us wise unto salvation. Maybe there's someone listening to this and, and you're not saved. And you know, the Lord Jesus said, if we, we hear his words and we do them, turn from sin and trust in him, we're like the wise man who built his house in the rock. The floods and the storms came and it stood because it was built on a rock that was the foundation. But those who hear what the Lord says and don't do, the Lord says they're, they're like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The floods came, the storms came and it fell because it had no foundation. But then there's the other thought about Job here in these verses in chapter 1. Yes, he was a a wise man, but he was also a wealthy man. Now, of course, we've mentioned his family, and we can say that his family was part of his wealth, but we're thinking now of the verse 3, where we read of the substance of Job. We read of how he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, making him to be the greatest of all the men of these. He was a very wealthy farmer in his day. From the sheep there was the wool to be sold and of course the sheep for food as well. The camels in that day were a means of transport and so in our terms today we might think of someone with a fleet of lorries. The oxen were used among other things for plowing as verse 14 indicates and we can equate them if we want to bring it up to date with tractors today. The she-asses were used for riding and also were valuable for their milk. But the lesson from Job's wealth is this. God is pleased to bless some of his people with wealth. And Job did not allow his wealth to distract him from his walk with God, his spiritual well-being. That's clear. It is true that the word of God warns of the temptation. That wealth can bring with it. We're warned that the love of money is the root of all evil. We should not make getting rich our chief goal in life. But at the same time, if God does bless us with material wealth, we're to be good stewards of that and we're to use our wealth for the glory of God. Over in the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, who wrote to Timothy, had some things to say about wealth. In 1 Timothy 6, in the verse 6, he, he wrote, But godliness with contentment is great gain, because he was talking about those in verse 5 who suppose that gain is godliness. But he is saying godliness with contentment. Whatever we have from a, a material perspective, if we're saved and we're godly, godliness with contentment is great gain. We're told that we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. They that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare. Verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. But then when we come down in 1 Timothy 6 to the verse 17, Paul exhorts Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It's not a sin to have riches. 
And to be wealthy at God so blesses you. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. But such individuals were told that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, willing to share of that wealth with others in need. I, I think when you go back to Job 1 and verse 21, it's very clear that Job recognised that all that he had was a gift from God. And he submitted that when God took away what he had, that God could do that. He still blessed God. Job 1 and 21, keep in mind at this point, his, his possessions have been taken from him, his business, his family. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord give, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had a right perspective on his wealth. When you go over to chapter 29 of Job, in the verses 12 and 13, I believe we can conclude that Job had used his wealth and his position to help others who were less fortunate. Because in Job 29 and the verse 12, as Job spoke, he said, Because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him, the blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. The lesson is, whatever God has blessed us with in life, whether it's much or little from a material perspective, it is to be used to meet our needs, the needs of our families, and even others in need. God not only, of course, provides for our temporal needs, we are taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But more importantly, God offers spiritual wealth to us in the gospel, freely to us as sinners. We read in Ephesians 1 and 7 of the riches of God's grace, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In Ephesians we read also that inheritance that we have. It's a, it's a spiritual inheritance, of course, as the people of God. In Ephesians 1 and the verse 11, and of course it's in Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. We read in chapter 2 and verse 7 of Ephesians that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. The riches of God's grace have been bestowed upon us as believers. Grace has been defined as great riches at Christ's expense. By nature, we are spiritual hoppers. But when we are brought to turn from our sin and trust in Christ for salvation, we become rich in spiritual terms. And indeed for all eternity. Because saved sinners have an inheritance incorruptible and undefined. And that fear of God away was served in heaven for us. Well, let me ask you, have you received this spiritual and eternal wealth? Job then was a man blessed materially and spiritually. He was a wise man, as we've considered. He was a wealthy man. But, of course, that did not guarantee a trouble-free life. As the rest of this chapter and the book reveals. 
how we must have a proper perspective then upon life. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, and he suffered afflictions too, they talked about looking at the things which are not seen. Those things which are eternal. We must be taken up with those things that we read, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Oh, let us heed even those words, godliness with contentment is great gain. And let us rejoice as saved sinners that we have spiritual wealth. If we have temporal wealth, let us thank God for all that we have. But let us rejoice most of all we have spiritual wealth. And of course, there's much more to be gleaned from the book of Job. But I trust and pray this evening that these thoughts will be a blessing to your heart, something to meditate upon, and that you will even, now at this time, even just take time in your own home, whether you're there alone or whether there's others in the family gathered, husband, wife, whatever the case might be, take time to seek the Lord in prayer. Pray for the Lamb. Pray for those in the congregation need a touch from the Lord. Pray for those that are in need of salvation, those in need of restoration. And pray that in the midst of this pandemic that the Lord would intervene in mercy, that in wrath he would remember mercy. And pray that even after this couple of weeks we'll be able to gather again in the house of God. So thank you for listening tonight.